Hey there, humanoids. This is David Shoemaker here with a very exciting announcement. Your favorite wrestling podcast feed, The Ringer Wrestling Show, is now going daily. And you can hang out with me and Kaz on Mondays and Thursdays for The Masked Man Show. And you can join me, Peter Rosenberg, alongside stack guy Greg and Dip every Tuesday with Cheap Heat. And on Fridays, I'll welcome a friend or special guest from the world of wrestling. And on Wednesdays, we have a very special new show called Wednesday Worldwide that you're going to want to check out. Pay-per-view reaction, one-of-a-kind interviews, fantasy booking, talking about bagels. That's what we do here on the Ringer Wrestling Show. Follow the show now on Spotify and do us a favor. Give us five stars. And do us another favor and uh, stay mage. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident. It was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud or standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a New York City edition of Weekends with Waz. I'm your host, Big Waz, a.k.a. Wazzy Lambray, and I'm joined, man, by a very special guy, a person who I would describe as my rabbi at the ringer, the legendary Chris Ryan, man. What's going on, brother? I'm half Jewish, so I think I can lay claim to that title. You know what I mean? (laughs) I didn't even know that. A congregation of one. I love that. Your your Anglo vibes is so strong. I, I didn't know. realize you were a half Jewish homie. So my like, dad was from amazing. England and my mom's Jewish from Queens. Wow. Look yeah. at that. Queens in the building. There's no place like Queens. I'm happy to have you on the show today, Chris, because I haven't talked Sixters up here in a while. And to be honest, even on group chat, we don't really talk about the Sixers. <laughs> it's like they've been such a lightning rod for controversy the last three to four years that when they're just being a normal NBA team, it's like, oh, there's nothing to talk about with the Sixers because the standard is just like craziness, right? And so they started, and I think a lot of this has to do with they started off the season four and six, and I stupidly, like, you know, veteran NBA observer that I am. I just wrote them off. I was like, ah, this is going to be a mess of a season. Harden thing is not going to work out. Everybody hates Doc. Like, Joel's going to be hurt, blah, 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 whatever. The Sixers, yeah, who cares? Wrote them off. And now they're number two in the East, 29 and 16. They seem to stabilize stuff. Like, we we talked about All-Star on the show on Wednesday and there was a portion where like none of us even mentioned James Harden. It was like, wait a second. I mean, come on, wait a second. <laughs> he's, he's playing at all-star level. Yeah. Right. And, and so like, I'm, you know, I'm curious, man, just as a fan, cause I feel like fans obviously watch these games a lot differently than somebody like me who's just watching cause they're a relevant team. How are you feeling about things as they stand right now? 
You know what's funny is that, so me and Raheem Palmer do this podcast on the Ringers Philly special feed. You can also listen to Sheil and Ben talk about the Eagles, Go Birds. But because we podcast about them and we need to say something, I feel like I've been much more critical about the team than the oh, wow. record demands, right? So like you basically are just like, what's Doc doing? Baby Daryl's the emperor with new clothes and like he's never going to get a backup five and he's just trying to put together the 2018 Rockets and I'm going nuts. We got to get, Dave Yeager should be the coach. And it's just like everybody's, everybody's so upset. But then when you take a breath and you take a step back, they basically have rolled through the West Coast like Bob Deep. You know, yeah. and they're they're four and zero. They beat the Blazers last night. It doesn't always look pretty, but they kind of get the job done. And now Doc is definitely settled into the rotation with Maxi coming off the bench. Yeah. Him and Shake bring this offensive like boost off of the bench. Harden is kind of now reminding me of like he's moved into his offensive Rondo period, which mm. is like I feel like he's like <laughs> he's like it's all just like tooling around out on the court and getting like weird. 16 point triple doubles, but has yet to. I have not seen him in a couple of weeks like really try to take a game over. He has like really just decided to play pure point guard. And it kind of seems to have set up and beat for a dark horse MVP season. And so, yeah, it's a very aesthetically unsatisfying team. Like it's not fun to watch. It's often very like herky jerky. A lot of guys hitting the deck. You, you'll be watching. You'll be like, how the hell are we up eight points? How the hell are we up 12 points? How did we win this game? The whole West Coast trip has been like that, except for this Blazers game. But all in all, if you gave me this record at the beginning of the season and we're like, yo, by the way, at, at All-Star break, <laughs> you're going to probably be second or third. And B's going to be routinely putting up 35 a game. Harden's going to be dishing out 14 assists. Maxi is going to adjust to a new role and coming off the bench and just be the Vinnie Johnson of the team. The new signings for the most part, Melton, Tucker, whatever, are like fitting in, if not like producing. I would take it. Yeah. And Harden to me is the crucial part of all of this. Like this, the, the success of the team is going to based on how well Harden plays. Is when like, is he going to be able to score when the chips are down? Because they... Do, like they need perimeter shot creation, right? Like Maxi is. Look, I love him. Um, I think I underestimated him for sure early on in his career, but he's like proven a lot of people wrong, myself included. And he's, you know, he has his ways. He finds ways to get buckets. He takes what he's given. Like if it's exactly if, it's, if he's if people are playing off him, he'll just shoot it. If people are are trying to get keep him, he'll get, get downhill. Down, he'll get downhill. And so, but Harden is the guy that's going to do most of the perimeter creation. So it's like, you know, Rob pointed out, he's like, yo, the guy's leading the league in assists. And I was like, damn. Yeah. And, you know, it, it makes you realize that, like, James Harden is a point guard when he needs to be. He's just been a 30-point scorer for so long. We forget about that. So I wonder, to me, it's like, I wonder if he has it in him to drop 30 in a game against the Celtics in May when, you know, nobody else has anything going. Yeah, and can they win a second round game five? Right. If he's like, I've decided to score eight points tonight and I'm going to have 15 assists <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep the ball moving and I'm going to work the pick and roll with Embiid. But like in a, against a Boston, say, who have historically guarded Embiid well, like is Harden the guy who's like, tonight I'll get 32. Tonight, tonight, I will keep us in this. Every time Boston makes a run, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get a bucket and I'm going to stop a run or whatever. And it's like, I don't know. 
I think it's been really interesting to watch him clearly adapt to being the number two and to being the mm-hmm. facilitator and not it's ne- it's not a heliocentric offense at all anymore nope. like I think there were parts in the beginning of the season where it was a little bit your turn my turn there was Harden dribbling at the top of the key everybody clear out Harden tries to get contact or and get to the free throw line or do a step back three uh, there was a I told this story on Philly special but there was these kids behind me at the Clippers game these like six three 16 year olds and they were going crazy because they had a Harden three made threes bet going <laughs> and they were like this pays six hundred dollars like we're gonna make it and Harden just refused to shoot threes the whole night and these kids were dying <laughs> and uh and then they were like my dad needs the car back we gotta go so they left in the third quarter but I don't know when the Harden outbreak game is coming and mm. let me ask you this so like let's say they you go through the year you go through the playoffs with Harden essentially being a 16 to 20 point a night, 10 to 15 assist guy a night. Is that enough for the Sixers to get past the second round of the playoffs, which is essentially the, the, the bare minimum of this season? I don't think he can be a high assist guy if he's not a threat to score in the playoffs. And it, this is my problem in recent years with Harden as he's become less of a mega athlete and more of just like, you know, skills guy, yeah. guile guy. I'm reading Michael Pina this morning in his Golden State Boston recap. And he's like, Tatum did different things, right? He's like, you know what? I'm not just going to attack one-on-one. I'm not just going to try to attack in the pick and roll. They're doing stuff. I'm going to get off the ball. I'm going to attract defense. I'm going to kick out to Al Horford for a three-pointer. I'm going to try different ways to be effective. And oftentimes, James Harden has been so stubborn in his approach. And to his credit in Philly, he's not as dribble-dribble anymore. He does make quicker decisions, quicker by his standards with the ball when he has it. But, like, I wonder if he's going to, like, take it upon himself to try different things. Like, he's as smart a player as anybody out there. Like, just... Like, people got to understand, just the idea that Harden developed the whole hook thing to get to the free throw line, like, that's a guy who's thinking about ways to be effective. You you could make the argument, I I don't know if I would, but you could make the argument that he has had a profound impact on NBA offenses, Steph. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Steph elongated the the court and Harden gummed up the game. The, the, the foul-seeking behavior, as my man Nate Duncan calls it. The way people just, everybody gets fouled on threes now. That's Harden. Harden mm-hmm. invented that, right? And you can say what you want about aesthetics, but this is, this is a guy who's thinking about different ways that he can win. You know, different ways to be effective. And so I think he needs to apply that to scoring that isn't the cheap you know, tax loophole stuff <laughs> that he's been doing in the past. You know what I'm saying? So I, I, he's he's never shown himself to be that guy. I think this is well documented. I'm not even making this up. Like him and Chris Paul got into it because Chris Paul's like, bro, when you don't have the ball, you're allowed to do stuff. Yeah. You don't have to stand 30 feet from the basket when you don't have the ball. You can be a threat that way. And so I wonder, because again, people can change. You know, I'm somebody who's a firm believer in people's ability to change, players, coaches, all of it. 
So he's never shown it, but I wonder if he has it in him to do so. Yeah, it's like, this is kind of goes back to what I was saying of like, if you're standing right up close to something, you feel like you have to have criticisms. But if you're standing far away, it's like, oh, this is actually better than I thought it would be. Like, when you stand up close to Harden, I think you see all the like, you can nitpick all the things that you don't like and what it did to basketball and all this stuff. And I think because even though he's got this iconic image of the beard, he's not a very demonstrative or like particularly, it's at least to me, charismatic player. Like he doesn't like no. have a lot of good quotes afterwards. He doesn't Nobody have Nobody like, knows anything about James Harden. Yeah, he, we, we know he likes to, to party, right? Like, yes. that's about it. Like, I guess, and, and same. So like, I, I guess he and I have that in common, but like, it's, you, you don't really get to know him the way you get to know Embiid or even the way you get to know Maxi, and even to some extent how you know PJ Tucker and stuff like that. But if you take a step back and look at the sort of trajectory of his career, he's somebody who's transformed himself multiple times mm-hmm. from a sixth man to uh, uh, like the single offensive engine of a franchise who's tried <laughs> playing with a bunch of different number like partners that hasn't really worked. And that's, this is the thing that gives me the most hope was he and Embiid are playing better than I think he's ever played with anybody else as a duo. Mm. So mm. the, the two man game if you watch over the course of this season is starting to become a problem and the MB Harden pick and roll, pick and pop, whatever is becoming deadly. Now the application of that in the playoffs with the different, like sort of, you know, ref refing styles and stuff like that. We'll see. But MB currently is deadly from mid range and Harden seems to know where he needs the ball when and how. And so that is something that's like, we now have a killer play. And I don't know that the Sixers have had mm. a killer play in a long time. Mm. Yeah, I think that was the sort of crown jewel of the trade was that pick and roll partnership, right? Especially when Harden was a little bit twitchier. It's unswitchable because it's like anybody who's quick enough to guard Harden absolutely cannot deal with Joel Embiid yes. in the post. And, you know, vice versa, if you're thick enough to deal with Joel in the post, you're not quick enough to guard James Harden on the perimeter. And so you have to guard these two straight up in a pick and roll. That's that's a quick recipe for poison. And that they found adjustments and different wrinkles to that partnership, you know, doesn't surprise me. Like, these guys are fucking great players, yeah. you know? Like, these guys, and specifically offensive players, they are offensive minds. So that 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 doesn't surprise me. And I think, you know, a couple of the other things, of course, are going to have to come together around it. But I do want to talk about Joel, who... Like you said, he's he's having as good a season as anybody. I know, like, <laughs> me and Bill and my <laughs> man Adam Marez are on the Jokic train heavily. Yeah. You know, yeah. I bought my ticket. It's, it's punched. It's like, I'm there. I'm in the VIP part of the um, Jokic train. I don't know if you've ever been in the VIP at the Amtrak. What's going, what's going on there? Well, you know, just Johnny Black. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, we're not Club doing like sandwiches. Serbian aperitifs or whatever. Like we- <laughs> no, <laughs> maybe maybe on the Jokic train is different from Amtrak. <laughs> Fair, but like Embiid is playing at an MVP level, especially when you consider what he does on defense. Yeah. And he's doing it again. This is like the third year in a row that he's playing at this level. And just another name drop. My man Ben Goliver. He was the first person to be like. 
Joel and B gets to skate on a lot of shit. Like a lot of underachieving. It's like let's ba- blame Ben, let's blame Brett Brown, let's blame this, let's blame that. Blah 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 blah. And like nobody's really killed Joel for the shortcomings of the team, and some of it was his own shortcomings, right? Especially in the postseason. But this year. I think it's like, wow, like he's like, yeah, I dealt with plantar fasciitis <laughs> in the off season and I just I'm just fighting through it and I'm just killing people anyway. I, you know, I've I've come I don't want to say I've come on the other side of, you know, being disappointed in Joel like completely, but it's cool that he's showing this level of resilience, professionalism, and greatness, you know, like consistently, you know, on a team that when you listen to people that are over there, it's not like he's super satisfied with how the team has been constructed around him, but he's making it happen. He's making it work. And I think that's something that he should be commended for. He wasn't, it's not that he wasn't this before, but this is the most like professional season I've seen from him. Partially because he's not really campaigning for the MVP. So I think he's just like, I'm going to go out there and score 38 and you guys can, you guys can talk about me and Jokic or not, but like, I'm not going to do press (laughs) conferences about it. I'm not tweeting about it. I'm not like playing to the crowd about like everybody screaming MVP to me. He kind of goes out there and takes care of business. This feels like a very professional team. I wonder whether or not the introduction of guys like Tucker has, has helped that at all. Even yeah. though Tucker is like, it sometimes is unplayable. Um, <laughs> I wonder whether or not his impact on the team kind of goes beyond that. Like whether it's keeping Harden somewhat in check. Whether he's, it's a, like, he's a James Whisperer for sure. Yeah, and whether or not it's just basically like Joel. It doesn't really matter what we do in in January. It matters what we do in in April and May. You know, so. I, I think that it feels like a different team. It honestly feels like a little bit more of a Doc Rivers team, you know, mm-hmm. where it's just like the guys are going to go out there, they're going to win like 55, they're going to win 53 games, and we're just going to kind of tick it along. Now, Doc Rivers teams sometimes implode in the playoffs. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, I think that the great crucible for this franchise is going to be at the end of the playoffs and depends on where we we finish. But even look at that weird Harden thing from Christmas. And the way that kind of just got handled. Like, I don't, that's yeah. not Sixers of the last five years. That Sixers <laughs> of the last five years is that becomes a conspiracy theory and everybody's <laughs> internet sleuthing of why it was, how Woj knew this and blah, 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 and what it means oh, and why would Harden want to go back to Houston and it's because he owns like stock and Lowry seasoning or whatever. And now <laughs> instead, it's just like, yeah. That was probably a leverage play. Like Daryl will take it's care of it. just to get a better deal. That's right. It's it. like I gave you a discount this time. Yes, because you went I and got get Tucker paid. in house. Yeah. But I want to get paid. It's it's you know, the only weird thing about it is that it's happening during the Christmas holiday, but like during Christmas morning. I- <laughs> <laughs> it was Christmas morning. It was really weird. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to work right now. It's so crazy. (laughs) But what happened that day? They went out and they beat the Knicks. That's it. You know what I mean? Like they went out and took care of it. They beat the Knicks in the garden. Yeah. They've clearly found some equilibrium. And it's, you know, as much as some of this is new to everybody, as far as them doing it in Philadelphia at this point like Joel James Doc Daryl have been through so much individually in their professional careers that it allows them I would imagine to take a more sober approach to everything you know like these guys 
you know, like Daryl Morey's not fighting for his reputation or like making his way in the league and making a name for himself. Like he's Daryl Morey. It's like, yo, I don't have to press this. Doc Rivers doesn't have to press this. James or Joel, like these guys have been around the block. So it's it's cool to see that, you know, they didn't self-implode from Harden and his team. Yeah. You know, letting the Sixers know seven months in advance. They also didn't implode when Maxi, like Maxi didn't implode when he lost his starting spot. You know what yeah. I mean? And Maxi's in the line for like a contract. Like that, that's the thing is that like a kid like that could be like, yo, you know that I can score 25 to 30 points in this league. How am I coming off the bench? Like my money is getting messed with right now. And he didn't do that. He was just like, it is what it is. I feel like I'm going to get my, my minutes and I'm going to get my, my points and I'm going to help the team win. Tip off the new year with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. New customers get $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just download FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores to threes drained. Tonight, the Miami Heat are at the Dallas Mavericks. Um, I like their money line at minus 125. I think the Heat are finally rounding into shape. And um, yeah, I just I just love this bet. That's free bread for y'all today. Um, plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with same-game parlays. FanDuel is also now live in Ohio. So make sure you get in on the action with great offers just for you now and throughout January. So don't miss your chance to get $150 in free bets with promo code RINGERNBA. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. 21 and over in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problems? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit backslash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York, 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming, or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. 
But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. You know, I, it was, I wanted to ask you though, like, I think what, like, so like on average, would you say what you watch like every Knicks game? Not really, bro. I don't no, watch I mean, a lot but of like, Knicks. Uh, you don't, you try not to. I watch like the team that I watched the most before Halliburton went down was the Pacers. Like uh, every Pacers, game. <laughs> well, you you know it's the early slate, so there's yeah. that group of games, and it's like any early slate. I'm just like, all right, I'm watching the Pacers, the Knicks. I'm I watch the Knicks, you know, especially if the Pacers aren't playing. But my teams that I've watched the most of are Indy and Denver. Indy because they're my favorite team this year. Denver because I picked them to go to the finals mm-hmm. um, and I want to be right and so the Knicks of course I watch the Knicks <laughs> like I have to watch the Knicks like people are texting me about the freaking Knicks from home anytime anything decent happens so you know I have to watch the Knicks but they're definitely not my top two or three watch teams this year I was gonna, I'm bringing it up because so I went to Nuggets Clippers the other night even though Jokic didn't play Nuggets won kick their asses P- anyway. PG didn't play but, but Kawhi did and then I've been watching like a bunch of Nuggets and a bunch of Grizzlies recently just because I'm like, mm. this seems like it's really real. Yeah. And, you know, with the Grizz, obviously they're so deep, but also it's like every play gets the like college, high school level bench reaction. And it just seems like an incredibly <laughs> connected team. Yes. And in Denver, yes. I got I got to sit really, like, really good seats for Denver. And the amount of like off-ball movement and cutting... And dudes just being available for a pass and the ball f- zipping around the court, even without Jokic. This was essentially like yeah. Aaron Gordon and Bones Highland running off, like, and Jamal running the offense. I was just like, this is just like basketball in Technicolor. I've been watching basketball in black and white all year. Yeah. I think that's part of what makes me a little bit muted about the Sixers, is they're neither a super connected team or <laughs> a particularly fun one bad. to watch. You know what I mean? <laughs> they're just dudes. On their third yeah. run at a gym, we're like, you're not going to knock us off, but we're not going to be like, we're not going to be high fiving every play. You know what I mean? That is such a beautiful way to put it, because yeah, they they they're definitely not a connected bunch, and it's not as if it's a bunch of complementary pieces that allow it to just flow very seamlessly. They're talented though. Oh yeah, which counts for something in this league, and then. The thing is, is that with a league that's like this tight, although I know Bill likes to start every Bill Simmons podcast with discussing the separation the Celtics are seeing at the top of the East and (laughs) how sublime that is. And then 
doles out a, a healthy dollop of misinformation about Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and Philly right after that. <laughs> he is like, he's killing me right now. I usually don't get triggered by Bill, but like him being like, uh, yeah, today I got the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, on. But first, uh, I got to talk about how Missoula is really unlocked. <laughs> but... Uh, because it's so tight, aside from the, the beautiful and wonderful Celtics, I think it's going to be a really big seeding year. And it's just mm. like, you could see a very surprising team in the conference finals because it might just be, who do you catch? When do you catch them? And how, how many of their guys do they have? You know? Yeah. And I think matchups are going to matter too, right? I think Boston is just a tough, 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 tough matchup for the Sixers. But I think Brooklyn, they... they Beat them Bro- up. I don't think Brooklyn can stop the Sixers. I think they beat them up. You know, like and the, the the that the fact that they could throw PJ at KD, who can get really physical with him, and PJ's you know his 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 gift is that he he fouls consistently and the yeah. refs don't call it. <laughs> like, and if the Sixers and the Nets play in a playoff series, like we may see Ben Simmons like retire at halftime. <laughs> It just may be too much. He may oh, just get overloaded, ben, man. The prodigal son. Your prodigal son, Chris. I'm so happy you brought him up. Where where are you at with Ben Simmons? Are you like, because, you know, sometimes a guy leaves your team and you still root for him. Not me, but mm-hmm. like, like I don't root for guys that leave the Jets or the Mets. Like, it's just like good riddance. I hate you. Yeah, we have, a, like, I have a couple of friends who like, like our, our, one of our bosses, Jeff Chow, is like a Jimmy, lifelong Jimmy guy now. I like, love that. So he's just like, we never should have traded Jimmy. Look at Jimmy grinding out there. And I'm just like, fuck Jimmy. You know? <laughs> Jimmy's like blown up like four teams. <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I usually, I, I, I thought I wanted a different trade for Ben, but I wanted mm. to trade Ben. But I was never like, this guy is, we need an exorcist to get this guy out of here. I was like, I think he's like a pretty unique and special player. But clearly is like there there's a lot going on up there and he needs to like untangle it. The what's happened to him over the last couple of weeks is kind of like, whoa, this is dark. I look was he missed like didn't he miss like 16 free throws in a row in a row? It's it's bad. He's in the 40s on free throws. And he's doing the like, I have a wide open dunk and I'm gonna like try and, and wrap around past to Claxton. Yeah. And here's the thing, I like, I, I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. I've been telling people for years, like, once after his first year, he never made any meaningful improvements to his game, aside from being a smarter, like, a better defender. But, like, offensively, he never made any meaningful improvements. There was, it's not even like, I'm not one of these Twitter people like, oh, Ben has no bag. It's not about that. It's like, you know, develop a post game, turn around, hook shot, develop like something that you go to, that you punish people with, that you're better at. And it's never happened. And now it's gotten to the point in his career where everybody knows not only what he can do, but what he wants to do. You know, when people can predict what's coming, it makes you so much easier to stop. And whatever, I don't feel like doing a Ben Simmons. No, but he doesn't, on. and he also doesn't have the like irrational confidence of Draymond, where it's just like, you're gonna back off me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot it. It's still gonna shoot, right? Yeah. No, Ben doesn't. You know, he and- doesn't have the resolve of Giannis Antetokounmpo, who was stinking it up in the playoffs from free throw, and still was like, put me there twenty times a game. I don't care. This is what yeah. my team needs to win. 
I'm going to do it. I'm going to look bad in the process. I'm not going to look cool. And I've been saying it for years. I think the thing about Ben is he's extremely vain. <laughs> and like, if he doesn't look cool doing it, he's not going to do it. And so, you know, it's resulted in this. Like, I, this, this stuff is super predictable to me because I've been so pessimistic on Ben for a while. But, you know, it's not like I enjoy watching the guy be terrible. No, like, I, like I mean, it's almost, like, it's, it's almost like cringe at this point. Yeah, it's like, it it's really like watching is. Curb or something where you're like, oh, It really man. is. It, they, God, lost, you guys they lost got, four got in a row, hardened. right? They lost four in a row? Yes, yes. You know, it's look, it was going to take people who weren't Kyrie to fill a void, you know, especially in their offense, especially in shot creation. Like, KD's... One of the best shot creators we've ever seen, ever. And so, like, it wasn't going to be one guy that's going to come in and do that. Like, everybody was going to have to do their part. And unfortunately, the guy making damn near $40 million a year wants no parts of it. And so, you know, the Brooklyn thing, whatever. When KD comes back, it'll be fine. But, yeah. That Ben situation just gets nastier and nastier by the day. But Oh, I wanted to ask you one more hoops question before. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Since we're talking about the Eastern Conference, and since I'm, you know, as 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 a guy cheers for the team is in second, third, whatever. Who on the bottom half of the Eastern Conference do you see as a slingshot team in the second half of the season? Like they're putting it together or when they get this guy back, or I I can feel them make a run. Like there's usually like every other year it feels like the heat. Rip off yeah, to a, me it's, a 25 to, and five second half of the season or something, you know? So to me, the reason why it can only be the Heat is because they're the only team with a guy who on a given night can be as good as Joel, can be as good as Jason Tatum, can be as good as Kevin Durant. Like individually, he can match their level on a given night. So to me, he's the only serious person in that category. So that's why it's like, it's definitely Miami to me. Because, like, Jimmy, man, say what you... And you know what? I shouldn't say that. It's not just Miami. No, no, no. It's, it's bottom half, whatever. I've already said I think Cleveland is, like, really good and it's going to be super hard to beat in the playoffs. But Miami, to me, when these possessions just get bogged down in the playoffs and it's not this, you know, up and down situation yeah. and every single possession is in the half court... I think Jimmy's just the ultimate weapon there. He's so good at it. You know, he's just like facilitation, one-on-one scoring, exploiting mismatches. He's so good at it. So to me, Miami's the only person that I can see like taking Boston to a seventh game, beating Brooklyn. Like I, Miami's the only team I see that way. I think Cleveland when they're healthy, are clearly in the upper echelon of the East. So I don't think they count for this sort of category. But everybody else, I think, is just, they got too much to figure out to be like a real, true, you know, as you put it, slingshot team. Yeah, I mean, I just was wondering, because like, you know, you were saying you watched a bunch of Pacers. I know that they're dealing with injury stuff, especially with Halliburton. But yeah, I was curious. The Pacers are fun for the regular season because... Their effort level on a night-to-night does not wane. And Halliburton is legitimately, like, he's legitimately an elite player. You watch some of these crunch times possessions where, like, dudes aren't really sure what to do in the pick and roll. Like, yeah, he's doing these step backs. He's, t- he's draining 30-footers. Like, 
And of course, his court vision is such that like any opening, he's going to find a dude. And so like they have that, but like in half court offense in the playoffs, bro, like much as I love my Haitian brother, Ben Matherin, love him, excited for his future. He is so freaking fun. And talk about like demeanors and approaches to the game. Like he is no nonsense out there. He's like throwing a Wolverine out on the court. Bruh, he doesn't even smile. He doesn't smile when he's playing. It's it's <laughs> it's kind of like you don't see pro players like that. No. Like pro players are like, you know, they want like it's wandering around, it's looking up at the jumbotron, it's like chatting with each other. He, like, he plays like, with a purpose. He's yeah. like every night is rivalry night. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, yes. Much as I love them, I just don't think in the half court. I don't think they're gonna generate quality offense. Rick's a good coach, man, though. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't put it fair. past it. He's like That's a good, fair. he's like really good at like when the game's tight, manufacturing some offense for his team and stuff. Like it would be kind of interesting to see them against like a a Brooklyn, you know, yeah. kind of situation and be like, oh, well, it's Brooklyn be- is so bad at defense. So yeah, that would be a favorable situation for them. It's just like as much as I love Halliburton. If you force him to finish at the cup, he's still not great at it. He's still not great at drawing fouls. Miles, again, people who listen to this podcast know that I'm in the tank for Miles Turner. Yeah. Much as I love him, he's not like he's a connector. He's a finisher. He's just not going to, he's not going to threaten guys and draw help and all of that kind of thing. And, you know, Buddy Hill is, I, Buddy's had a resurgent season. I love that he's turned himself into like a Reggie Miller type of guy where it's just like, yo, I'm just a threat when I'm moving off the ball at all times. And that's going to create gravity and openings for my guys. Like a lot of that stuff gets eliminated in the playoffs. Yeah. You know? And so that's my issue with Indy. Like with Jimmy, it's just like, bruh, I've seen Jimmy beat, just beat guys to death. Okay. Like, <laughs> Quick two fouls on your best perimeter defender. Oh, yeah. you got you putting a little guy on me? I'm taking him straight to the post. Like, I've just seen Jimmy do it over and over in big and huge moments, dude. You know, like just play his best. And so I, I just love Jimmy, especially in the playoffs. Like, he's just one of the few guys that gets better as the games get harder. So, like, yeah, for me, it's Jimmy. The Knicks, come on. I mean, Julius Randle is going to he's gonna, Maybe he's gonna hit year. you with this, this, this slingshot. Like, come on, bro. So, yeah, they're, they're the only team that I really, okay. really, truly, truly see it for. But I wanted to talk to you because I haven't seen this movie, but I wanted to talk to you about it because back with... So, in LA, the funny thing is, like, I really don't go to the movies like that. Mm-hmm. But when I was in New York, it was like a thing that I did all the time. Like either I would go to Jamaica and catch a matinee and like be in the movies watching, you know, I don't even know, something like Spider-Man, the the with with the <laughs> with the biracial dating. Um <laughs> like at 12 p.m. by myself. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Or I would do shit like go to Gothica or Nighthawk or whatever. Yeah. But like while I'm in New York, I want to see Babylon. Yes. And I want to see it at one of these boutique theaters. You do. Strictly off of your recommendation alone, Chris, tell the people why they need to see Babylon. I'm not sure how much longer they're going to make movies like Babylon. So for mm. one thing, it's like maybe mm. maybe Get In While the Getting's Good, where they give a director 
I don't know, 25, 45 million dollars and be like, here's just do your three, three hour vision, make your, your homage <laughs> to like the beginnings of cinema. So for people who don't know, Babylon is set in the 1920s going into the 1930s. It spans multiple decades in Hollywood and it's about the transition from silent films to sound films. And that may make it sound a little dry, but it is essentially like a Coke-fueled orgy for mm. three hours. And it yeah. stars... <laughs> my, my homie said like an ele- elephant takes a shit on somebody like... In the first one shot of the movie. Into the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It starts with a 25-minute party in the hills. And mm. you meet all the major characters. You find out like where they're at in their lives. They're, I don't want to give too much away because there's don't, so many Don't good give s- too much. Yeah. Surprises, but it is... Not unlike Boogie Nights, you know, wow. it just has that energy. It has that kind of fall from, you know, it was the best of times, worst of times feel. And if you love movies, it has a lot to say about like the role movies play, not only in our lives, but like as viewers, but in the lives of the people who make them. And it's also just like a really cool story about people collectively working on something, you know, like mm. I really like, I like that. the way it captures the like what it must be like to like be on a set. You know, and I've only I've been to a few sets before, and they're they're not quite as energetic, but mm. uh, it's it's really it's really awesome. It's got a lot of stuff in there that's just like there's a couple of sequences in there that people will be like replaying for for decades. So Giselle is a cool director. You know, I hope that I hope that his next project gets funded. Equally. So here's the, the here's the funny thing. This is what I wanted to talk. My buddy Nando, shouts to my boy Nando. Yeah. Who saw the movie, um, loved it for all of the reasons you just described. He was like, uh, at the same time, we're watching a director commit career suicide. <laughs> Nobody's ever gonna give this guy money to do a movie. Like, he literally spit in the faces of the financiers of this film. Like, they're not gonna let him do this again. You know, I don't think so, but like, there's a long history of Hollywood of people taking like g- gigantic like dives off of a cliff, you know what I mean, and then coming back from it. I mean, Francis Coppola has done that like multiple times. Like, so I don't think Chazelle's gonna go to like director jail. It, unfortunately, <laughs> what he's gonna probably wind up doing is making like more limited series for Apple or something like that. Okay, because like, like he made one for Netflix. It actually, isn't that bad. It's called The Eddie, and it's about like a jazz club in Paris. Okay, and he directed the I whole thing. Andre an Holland's episode it. of that. Yeah, actually. it was actually like it came this was out years ago. Yeah, and people were like, "Damien Chazelle made this," and I think people got like five minutes into it, and they were like, "Is this in French?" and turned it off. Yeah, but it's actually pretty good. <laughs> That's what happened to me. <laughs> but yeah, like I think that it's really, really worth seeing on a big screen if you can if you mm. can get to one. So before it actually has like a second life on a streamer, you should you should check it out at Nighthawk or someplace. Absolutely going to see that movie. One last thing I wanted to ask you, because again, we're both New York expats. What is your routine when you go back to New York? Like when you're visiting New York? Like I have a thing where like on the, (laughs) on the, at least no more than three days in, I'm at some point I'm going to go to Vanessa's, the, the one in, LES, not the shit in Williamsburg where everybody speaks English. The one in LES, I'm going to get the spicy wontons and then I'm going to walk to Ivan Ramen and I'm going to go there and eat ramen while they're playing Nas. That's like a thing that I do every single trip. What is your New York go-to? So I basically now treat New York, I do all the stuff I never did when I was living there. 
It's like when you live there, you go to the, like Statue of Liberty. Or something. No, but like, but, you, but like, I never would go to MoMA because I was like, I'm not getting on a train oh, and going wow. to fucking okay, MoMA. Got so you. I try to go to a lot of museums and exhibits while I'm there. And then what are some? Oh, and then I try to basically like everything in LA is all dictated by traffic. It's inconvenient to get anywhere. Yeah. Like all, all the all the dumb. You don't need to hear me and Waz talk about like traffic on the 101. Yeah, but in New York, I basically try to like invert it where it's like my wife and I will like go to a show and then go get dinner at like 1030, you know, because yeah. that's not something you do in LA. <laughs> no. You don't go to a wine bar at like 11 PM and then order like a full dinner and then go get Joe's slices and yeah. then go get a nightcap. You know what I mean? Love that. And that's so we, we try to do that. I'm trying to think of like, I will always get the pierogies of Veselka. I always, I usually, I usually make it like a, like a point to like, no matter what time it is of day, one time while I'm, I'm home, I, I got to have Veselka. I love it. I love it. I love going down the New York rabbit hole with you, Chris. And people need to know this. Yeah. Since I started working at The Ringer, obviously people always ask me about Bill. But after Bill, Chris Ryan is the person that comes up. <laughs> Num- like, I swear Are they like, how to is it possible God. that Chris can hear Bill talk about the Celtics so much after 11 years? <laughs> no, people are like, is Chris Ryan really that cool in real life? I'm like, yes, he is. <laughs> He's everything you think he is and even more, bro. I swear to God, like the most... People like the person people ask me the most about in Ringer World and in Simmons verse is Chris Ryan. And I think it's with good reason. Thank you for coming on. Dude, thanks for having me anytime, Chris, man. Appreciate you. We'll see you guys next week. Of course, man, be checking out our new podcast with Austin Rivers, Real Ones with Logan and Raja Bell, Group Chat, of course, The Answer with Siri and Kyle. Yeah, check out everything on the Ringer NBA feed. Uh, We'll see you guys next week. Peace out. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.